Thank you so much. Amen. What a blessing. Was that a blessing to you? Amen. Awesome. Very good. Thank you. I think I was, when I was here last time, I told you I played uh, guitar and played in a band. Did I not? Did I not tell you this? Oh, come on. I didn't tell you that story? Yes, I played in a band. We met in the garage, and uh, my father, one day we were having dinner, he looked up at me and said, son, you guys know any more songs than just that one song? <laughs> and, uh, but I also took piano. I was congratulating. He's been playing piano since like he was, I don't know how old. How old? Six, seven. His mother tortured him or something. And, but now he, but I took piano in seminary. I did. Uh, last week, final week, Dr. Collins walked up to me at the cafeteria, round table. There's about seven of us sitting there. And she said, Mr. Kendrick, I realize that uh, you're anal retentive about A's. Therefore, I give you an A. Please, you do not need to come for the final exam. Just promise me never to take piano ever again. <laughs> you know, so I got an A without taking the exam. I'm good with that. But let me apologize to some of our guests. I won't mention who, but uh, there's a young man back there, and I didn't know he was a guest, and I just said, hey, I need you to read this. And he looked at it, he looked up at me, and then I realized that, boy, I just stepped across the line, and I said, <laughs> so finally I said, are you a guest or a member? Because if he was a member, I was going to make him do it anyways. You know what I'm saying? But he said, I'm a guest, and I said, I'm sorry. And then I walked over here, and I'm not going to mention who, and they said, oh, it was you, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> No, it was you. No, 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 it was you. It was you in the little green thing. She looked at him. She said, you must be preaching today, right? Didn't you say that? And I thought, oh, this is great. You know? I shook her hand. She said, we're here for the baptism. I said, good night. Devastated. Thank you for singing. I didn't, the two, two people sitting right behind me. What are your names? What, Chris? Luis and Angela. Right. Why are you laughing at yourself? You, <laughs> you thought I was going to say something terrible, did you not? No, no. Uh, I was blessed. In fact, I was listening to the two of you more than I was singing. So that was a very much of a blessing to me. Thank you so much. She's over there going, we did good, sweetie. <laughs> All that. Uh, no, I, I love people who can sing. I tried to, uh, I was a pastor and love pastoring. Much like your pastor, I began a church with 23 people. We met at the Redmond Funeral Home uh, because I made a promise to Mr. Redmond that if any of our people died, we would use the services. <laughs> and so he said, okay, no charge for you then. <laughs> so we, we started there with 23 and grew to about 1,250 people. And uh, one time we had a baptismal service and uh, we were meeting in a, like a, a gym place, you know, with, with the jacuzzi. And uh, they loved that. They wanted the jacuzzi water on because the Bible talks about water moving, you know. I said, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but but uh, I wanted to sing. I'm the pastor. If the pastor of your congregation comes to the music director and says, I would like to sing, what should be your answer, Louise? Yes. You should be yes, right? Yes. yes, that's right. She looked at me and she said, I'm sorry, Dr. Kendrick. We need people who can read music and sing. Apparently, I don't sing on, what is it? All of you know that. <laughs> That's why I sit in the front row. Nobody's in front of me. But uh, in 19, 
in 63. I was in uh, Memorial Baptist Church, a large church. My mom and dad had adopted me, brought me from Korea to California at the age of 10. I was 11 in 63. And uh, Pastor Hughes was preaching. And uh, I just made an impression on my heart. My mom and dad's life had made an impression on my heart. And my dad had been sharing Christ with me from the day uh, that uh, I was adopted. Because that's how important Christ was to, to his life and uh, my mom's life. But one day, Pastor Hughes made an invitation that Sunday. And right on the first key, I walked up the line. And just it's a long church, you know. And you just, uh, this is why if you're going to make a decision in a church, please sit up in the front. It's, it takes too long to walk up. But anyways, I walked all the way up to the line. And he shook my hand. He leaned down. He's six foot something. And he says to me, he say, turns me around and gives me the mic. And he says, Peter, tell them why you're here. Now, at 11 years old, I was... Obviously, all of you know this, that met me already. Koreans are naturally good-looking. We can't help that. God does not make everyone equal. And I told those two guys with the beards, am I right? Don't, don't be ashamed. I mean, there's no worry. God made us not only good-looking, but what? Very smart, Louise. You know, you're acknowledged. We're very humble. You know, why are you laughing? You know, number three, we're very humble people, you know. And number four, we're very proud of that fact as well. But I walked up and he said, he said, tell them why you've come. And I had no theological training at all, but I remember a song that the churches we attended with my mom and dad, one of their favorite songs and one of my dad's favorite songs. It's a song that went something like this, and I'm not going to sing it, Louise. Don't worry. It says, some of you that may know this song, you can hum it as I say the words, okay? Some particularly those of you that are over 60, help me out, that you know this song. It says, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. A couple of other verses. I know not how the saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. I know not what of good or evil may be reserved for me, or weary, of weary days or golden days before his face I see. I know not when my Lord may come at, noon, at night or noonday fair, nor if I will walk with them or meet him in the air, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I still remember that as if it was yesterday. And that's one of my favorite songs. There's a soldier, if you have the picture up there, Jessica, uh, pick. this is Daniel Webster Whittle. Any of you know who he is? He's a major in this, put into war. He enlists, he's wounded at Vicksburg and put into prison. And in that prison, he writes his testimony. Help me with your name. Jeff. Jeff, come on up. Thank you, Jeff. We had many engagements 
and I saw many sights, many sad sights. In one of the battles, I was knocked out, and that night my arm was amputated above the elbow. As I grew better, having the desire for something to read, I felt in my haversack, which I had been allowed to keep, and found a little testament my mother had placed there. I read right through the book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, to Revelation. Every part was interesting to me, and I found to my surprise that I could understand it in a way that I never had before. When I had finished Revelation, I began at Matthew and read it through again. And so for days I continued reading and with continued interest. Still with no thought of becoming a Christian, I saw clearly from what I read the, uh, the way of salvation through Christ. While in this state of mind, yet still with no purpose or plan to repent or accept the Savior, I was awakened one midnight by the nurse who said, there is a boy on the other end of the ward, one of your men, who is dying. He has been begging for me for the past hour to pray for him or to get someone to pray for him. I can't stand it. I am a wicked man and cannot pray. I have come to get you. Why, I said, I can't pray. I've never prayed in my life. I am just as wicked as you are. Can't pray, said the nurse. Why, I thought from sure, for sure from seeing you read the testament that you were a praying man, and you are the only man on the ward that I have not heard curse. What shall I do? There is no one else for me to go to. I can't go back there alone. Won't you get up and come and see him at any rate? Moved by his appeal, I rose from my cot and went with him to the far corner of the room. A fair-haired boy of 17 or 18 lay there dying. There was a look of intense agony upon his face as he fastened his eyes upon me and said, Oh, pray for me, please. Pray for me. I am dying. I was a good boy at home in Maine. My mother and father are members of the church. I went to Sunday school and tried to be a good boy. But since I became a soldier, I've learned to be wicked. I drank, I swore, I gambled, and went with bad men. And now I am dying, and I am not fit to die. Oh, I ask God to forgive me, pray for me, ask Christ to save me. As I stood there and heard these pleadings, God said to my soul by his spirit, just as plainly as if he had spoken in audible tones, you know the way of salvation, get down boy's hand in mine and pray for this boy. I dropped upon my knees and held the boy's hand in mine. As a few, in a few broken words, I confessed my sins and asked God for Christ's sake to forgive me. I believed right there that he did forgive me and that I was Christ's child. I then earnestly prayed for the boy. He became quiet and pressed my hand as I pleaded the promises. When I arose from my knees, he was dead. A look of peace was upon his face, and I can but believe that God, who used him to bring me to my Savior, used me to get his attention fixed upon Christ and to lead him to trust in his precious blood. I hope we meet in heaven. Years later, Whittle penned the words to, I know whom in whom I have believed, as an expression of his testimony and faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Whittle, wounded, in prison, has an encounter with the Savior, and writes the words, I know whom I have believed. I've asked uh, Jessica, she'll show a picture for you. Any of you remember this picture? What do you think about the picture? What's, what's the scene? Someone help me out. 21 Coptic Christians 
on a beach. This was published in February. They're going to be put to death. They know they're going to die. Behind every believer is a man with a knife. He's going to behead him. Think about the circumstance. They are within minutes of dying. Now, there is something the Muslims do. They've done it historically. That is that they give you an opportunity. It's easy to become a Muslim. You just have to call. And to each one they say, are you a Christian? Or will you call on Allah? And each one, within moments of death, knowing that they could save their life, in spite of circumstance, in spite of opportunity, they refused to deny Christ, for they were not ashamed. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Timothy, and, and uh, Jessica will put it on the board as well. Paul is writing in, uh, perhaps I should tell him what Timothy, or how many of you are looking at me going, what Timothy? Okay, if you turn to 2 Timothy, and... Uh, this is my wife's, uh, what's her password? Hold on. So, no, no. Sorry. Oh, her password is my birthday. That's loving you, huh? Timothy. Cool. All right. So uh, Paul's writing in, in 2 Timothy, and uh, he, 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 writes, he writes these words that are uh, 2, Timothy chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. He writes these words, Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel. Next. Relying on the power of God, he has saved us and has called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has been made more evident through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, and brought us life and immortality light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed an heir, uh, a herald, an apostle, and teacher. And this is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I need you to underline that word. I what? Know the one whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. A better translation should be what I have entrusted to him. It's a whole Greek thing, but trust me. How many of you have the King James that says, entrust, I have entrusted to him? That would be the. How old are you? How old are you? You have the King James at 11? Do you know that's the second language? Man, you're going to be cool. <laughs> Man, you're going to be like an awesome. Come to seminary, sweetheart, and you can do better than Pastor Ken did. Okay? Oh, I'm sorry. He's sitting back there. Sorry about that. No, I love Pastor Ken. Let me tell you something. He, you've got an awesome, awesome, awesome pastor. And um, treat him well. Otherwise, he'll look like me in no time. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You know, he says, I know whom I believe in, and I am persuaded. That, that idea of know is not the sense of knowing. Like, a, How many of you use Wikipedia? Come on. You do it for homework, right? 
Like what? What, what interested you last? Your mother wants to know. <laughs> you know. The meaning of baptism? Good night. What is wrong with this church? <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. I'm, I, if he retires, I'm going to be the pastor of this church. I got, a king, I got a King James already. Meaning of baptism, two baptisms. I'm good with that. Call me. My resume is coming. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, it's more than a cognitive download. From we have 2020 hindsight, am I right? Paul is writing in prison, knowing that he's going to die, but he looks back at his life, 2020 hindsight, and he says, Listen, in spite of all the suffering, all the shipwrecks, all the beatings, all the stonings, all the jailings, and in spite of the fact that I'm right here about to die, I want you to know this one very important thing I know something. So, what does he know? First thing he says, I know that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You remember that in your reading? By the way, how many of you are following me on YouVerse? I thought that was cool. This morning I discovered that, oh, we got, uh, how many of you are like adding notes to the YouVerse? Who is? You are? You're adding notes? Here's what I need. I made a, my wife is, my wife is here in the earlier service with my mother-in-law who's in hospice care, but She's not feeling, you know, second service, so she's in the car trying to sleep, and my wife is watching her. But uh, at the end of the service, I said to my wife, I said, they have, they have U-verse, you know? I never had U-verse, and they can write notes on it, but I made a promise to my wife that I never preach a, second, uh, a sermon twice. So I don't, never have a file, sermon file, so each time I have to write a whole new one because she doesn't, thank goodness she's not here at 11 o'clock. That's one of the reasons I change everything at 11 o'clock from the 9.30 service. So she thinks I'm doing a different service. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but so here's my, if you do a better sermon than me, and I know some of you write your sermons while the pastor is preaching, go, I could do this better. Pastor Ken, don't do that and send me an email, okay? I want the people. If you do better, send me notes. That'd be cool. That'd be awesome. I have no plan to read it, just like I never read Ken's papers. <laughs> but, you know, do that exercise if you like. You know, he says, I know that I'm not what? Ashamed of what? The gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power unto salvation. The gospel is all about Jesus Christ, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 15. He came, he lived, he died for my sin, and he rose again, and he will return. I am so glad that John and Rose Kendrick took the time to share the gospel with me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That picture you saw should remind you, don't be ashamed. But here's what I want you to know. If you pass by an opportunity that the Lord Jesus has laid upon your heart and his Holy Spirit has convicted you, go and share and you fail to do that. That's an evidence of what? You're ashamed. You're ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, he says, I have been appointed a, a herald, right? An apostle and a teacher. I'm going to do that. So don't be ashamed of the gospel. If nothing else. But the only reason you can't be ashamed of the gospel is you've known it and experienced it in your heart.
Does that make sense? So this morning after the 9 o'clock service, I sat down. Brother Ken was doing the uh, closing things, and my wife looked over at me, and she goes to the tie, and she goes, your wife has good taste, doesn't she? And I said, like I'm, and she, you know, I said, but Ken is not wearing a tie. And she goes, I don't care. And, and she dresses me because I think she's ashamed of me sometimes of how I dress to go out. This is your husband right next to you, right? No? Both of you. The wife is shaking her head. No, the husband's going, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Good night. We have... Thank for the young people that know baptism in Jesus and King James. Did, did you, do you ever dress your, I mean, do you ever like inspect your husband? Yeah, because you don't want, you don't want, look, they're looking at each other going, yeah, we do that. One's young and one's old. What? You're, oh. I don't need color blindness to do that. <laughs> My wife is just glad I wear socks now, you know. But part of the reason you do that is because you don't want your husband to be embarrassed. Am I right? And part of the reason you look at him and you pick on him is because you, you don't want to be ashamed. Like, what kind of wife are you? Look at that bum. <laughs> He's over there laughing. He goes, I realize that. <laughs> you know. If you're that, if you're that picky about how you look and how your husband looks or your wife looks because you don't want them to be ashamed in public, the gospel is far more important. Gospel is far more important because at the end of the day, you will forget the fact that I had a Jerry Garcia tie on. Okay, but I don't. I've never had that kind of emotion over a Jerry, Jerry Garcia tie. Wow, I should wear it more often. But uh, you will forget the tie. You may even forget me. Don't forget what the gospel. Number one, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Number two, what's the number two one? What does it say? Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Oh, good night. Yeah. So, uh, number, number two is that I know, I'm not, I know his what? Power will, his power, power will keep me. It's an interesting thing about knowing God. He says, I, know, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've entrusted him unto this day. His power will keep me. If you read 1 Peter, Peter will say that you are protected or guarded by his power. Nothing that I do. My salvation, once I've accepted Christ, who's in control of that? He is. My life, who's in control of that? He is. He can be fully trusted. The God of power that created heaven and earth and all that you see, is he not big enough to keep you? My father was cremated. Your pastor passed both, both classes, so go ask him. But dad was cremated. And when his church found out that dad was going to be cremated, he was a deacon and all that other stuff, they just, some of the people just went berserk, you know, because in Georgia, southern Georgia, every, except for this church, every church has a cemetery plot that's bigger than the number of people that attend the church, you know. 
Uh, and I remember one day, Dad got up there, and he was kind of angry, and he didn't want my dad to be angry. You know, it was not a pretty picture. And Dad said, how stupid are you people? The answer, answer was obvious. It was a rhetorical question, because he thought you were stupid. He said, I remember my dad said this. If he's powerful enough to create me in the first place, isn't he powerful enough to recreate me in the second place better than I am now? Okay, you can say amen. amen. I don't want to be Pentecostal, but goodness gracious, <laughs> right? He has the power to keep you. Do not be afraid. Those people that you saw Paul in prison understood that no matter the circumstance you're in, wherever you are, his power keeps you. And God's in the business of listening to you. Don't you think he listens to you? He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. He knows me by name. And he knows you by name. And he will keep you if you are his. I need to check my... How much time do I have? Oh, who was that? Who is that? Raise your hand, please. Thank you. But you're the one that's revising my sermon. Put your hand down. You know, I, I don't forget those things. No. I need to move on to honor your time. But what's the third thing? I know whom I have believed. And it kind of made this CS, uh, I mean, uh, Barclay made a comment. He said, remember this, Paul's not talking about what he believed. It's what? Who, whom, 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 whom he believed in. Remember, how many of you English teachers in here? Who and whom? Who and whom? Am I right? Thank you so much. See, I love this. Pastor Ken, I love this class, of this church. We got a King James young girl, baptism, a person who can write a better sermon and rewrites it, and someone who knows English. It's great, great to be Korean, because if I screw up, I say English is my second language. You know? I really, and they said, well, do you know your first language? I said, no. <laughs> but anyways, yes, I know whom I have believed in. Pat and I have been married 40 years. We've known each other 42 years. Listen, I love my wife. I wish she was here. She's in the car with her mom. I love my wife. Man, I know her. More importantly, she knows me. You know, she knows everything about me. But every morning when she looks at me, she loves me. It's a personal relationship. God knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. And yet every day when he looks upon me, Every day when he looks down upon you that know him as the Lord and Savior of your life, what does he see? A child of his that he loves, that he calls, and he will keep and protect if you know him. Because Paul says, not only do I, I, I know that I'm not ashamed, says that, not only do I know of his power, but he says, I know of something else. What's the last one? I know that there is a what? A day coming. It says, I know that there is a day coming. My mother-in-law was with us at the 930 service. She's, like I said, she's in the car. My wife quit her job uh, uh, last year. She's a nurse practitioner. 
and uh, uh, to take care of her mom. Last Thursday, her mom began uh, hospice care. My wife has been an ER uh, uh, nurse practitioner for 40 years almost, and uh, I remember she said to me last Thursday when we called the physician, and she's, she's telling the physician as well, I have seen people come and die in the ER. Never bothered me. They come and they die. Never bothered me. She said, but to watch my mom decline and know that my mom will die. Not if, but when. And she began to cry. I don't know what you think about yourself and all the preachers you've heard about wealth and health and gospel. There's a day coming when you will die. And that day, you will stand before the king. And there's only one thing that he's interested in. Are you mine? Do you know me as Lord? Or do you not? Does that make sense? Do you know me as Lord? I told this story at the 930 service. We went to impact study because we're in the process of doing some fostering children. Wanna, because I was adopted, we wanted just to bless some other children. And the young man that had been living with me for 10 years has finally moved out. And um, he was a neighborhood latch kid. And so he lived with us for 10 years. And uh, mom lives in uh, Florida. Dad lives in Ohio. So he, uh, Kevin has lived with us. So we have a bedroom free now. And we said, you know, let's legally bring some kids in and bless them. And we went to the training. And a young couple stood up and began to introduce themselves to the little family line and all that stuff. And one of the first things they said was something like this. I want you to know that we're not believers. She says that. So when my time came to share my little family line, what do you think my first line was? I want you to know, by God's grace, I'm a believer. Now, as I was sharing my life at that moment with that group, I was watching him and her. And he began to nod his head she didn't move her head one inch. But you see, I'm not ashamed. And I know that there's a day coming for the two of them. And I don't want it to be me that didn't share the gospel. Does that make sense? We're planning my mother-in-law's funeral service. It's kind of, how many of you have done that? It, it's painful, isn't it? I mean, until you do that, it's just terribly painful. And uh, so we're planning this, and. And, of course, the entire family says, you're the preacher, so plant that. And they assume a lot of things, but, you know, Mom, what, what song do you like and all that? And then same thing with my mother, who's 91 years old, and I told that story before. But in each of the services that we plan for, my mother-in-law and my mother, it's my mother's request to be done. At her, it's going to be a celebration service of her life because they know Jesus. In fact, my secretary asked my mother-in-law one day, Miss Rosie, when you die, where will you go? And Miss Rosie, at 84, who has dementia, turns to her and says, I'm going to heaven. Man, that's a blessing. I'm telling you, that's a blessing for my wife. My, when my uncle was in the hospital dying, my father came to me and said, Son, go and talk to your uncle. I want to know one thing about your uncle. When he dies, where is he going? I went into the room and said, Uncle Tom, I'm... <laughs> Dad wants to know one question. If you die today, where are you going to go? He said, go tell your dad I'm going to heaven. And I went and told my dad. My mother-in-law and my mother's funeral, celebration of life, but a gospel will be shared. 
because even in their dying, they want one more opportunity to share the gospel with their grandchildren and children. Because as I said to you before, my brother and his family do not know Jesus. Even though my brother walked the aisle the same day I did, if you would ask him, he doesn't know Jesus. All of my brother's children are named biblical names, Hope, Timothy, Benjamin. You know, grandchildren are named biblical names. On the other hand, the preacher's son names his son Boyd, B-O-Y-D. That's kind of a biblical name. But it is biblical when you get mad at him. You know, but, but, but uh, in all of that, if you ask my brother, Richard, if you die today, where are you going? He doesn't know. I share this story. David Dico is a personal friend of mine. He and I were students together. He has a PhD in New Orleans from, um, in, in New Testament interpretation. He's got a PhD from Princeton and, uh, and uh, uh, Apostolic Fathers. And then he has a PhD from Union Theological Seminary. Three PhDs. He knows a lot about God, a lot about Christ. But he does not have a personal relationship with the Lord. Let's show the last, last slide. So we back to this last slide. Here's what I'm asking you. If you were kneeling there, what would you say? Would you say, I know whom I believe it, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that all that I've entrusted to him until that day? I hope you can, but here's my problem. We're not there. I'm thankful to God we're not there. We're in a country that allows for freedom and freedom of worship and freedom of assembly and the freedom of sharing. No one has ever locked me up for sharing the gospel. In that freedom, how have you used it? Can you say honestly to yourself and to the Holy Spirit who is among us now, Lord, I know that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because every time you impress me, I've shared it. I know that you have the power to keep me. I know you personally as the Lord and Savior, and I know that I am prepared for the day that will come. I know this. I didn't have the second picture, but there's another story behind the picture. And one of the, another sequence when they were killing the Christians, one of them was a non-believer. And when they come to him, all he had to say was, I'm not a believer, and they would have let him free. All they had to say is, I no longer believe in Jesus. They would have let him free. But this, this man who saw all these testimonies before him turns to the person who's going to kill him and say, because of their testimony, I believe. I believe you have a powerful testimony. Please share that. Because I've said this from my heart. I'm so glad for my family and those, but, and I want you to think, and I've said this, it's not original to me, but, you know, what's better than going to heaven, worse than going to hell? Taking someone with you. Imagine taking your brother or your sister mother, your daughter, your son, to hell with you. And then imagine taking them to heaven with you. You've got a choice. 
take them to heaven because you know whom you believed and you're not ashamed. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for these wonderful people. I lift their hearts to you, Lord, because you know their heart, and I ask that you would convict them even this moment to come to know you personally as Lord and Savior. Amen.